Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to the end of John chapter 2. We're going to read the the last three verses of John 2 and then spend most of our time in John 3. An 11-year-old boy stood in a baptistry with an older pastor. The pastor spoke to the congregation about this boy and about how he had um, prayed to receive Christ and about how he had walked the aisle and shook the preacher's hand and repeated everything that the pastor told him to say. Um, He took the boy then and and lowered him into the water brought him back up and everybody cheered. The boy dried off, he got into his parents' car, it was the end of the worship service, and he went home completely unchanged. This boy was a pretty good kid. He was raised in a good home with parents who loved him. He was raised to know right from wrong. He had a sort of Christian upbringing. He went to VBS some as as a child. He, He was in and out of church, and he really enjoyed hearing Bible stories. He never got in trouble in school. He always did his homework, got good grades. His parents never grounded him in his entire life. So it was very easy for him to think that he was going to heaven one day because he was really good. He had come forward and shook the preacher's hand and been baptized that same day. But nothing had changed about him when he came forward and shook the preacher's hand. It would still be four years, actually, before he met Jesus and was actually transformed by him. Y'all know my story. You know I'm the boy that I'm describing. And like me, during those four years of my life, my worry is there are many that call themselves Christians but are not actually born again. That is, they do not have forgiveness of their sins. They do not have eternal life. They will not go to heaven when they die. They may call themselves Christians and may even be involved at church, but there's no transformation in their lives. Nothing has changed about them. So what, what, what does it look like to be a good religious person like this, but not born again? We're going to take a look at that, an example of that in this story that Jesus is going to confront one of these people on. So John 2, I'm going to read from verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 15. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things you, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I described people who call themselves Christians but don't have a changed life. These kinds of people are spoken of here in the end of chapter 2. What do you see about them? Well, they believed in Jesus when they saw the signs he was doing. He had turned water into wine. He had no doubt done some other miracles that just aren't recorded in John. Um, that they believe in him because of the signs he's doing. Wait a second. I thought whoever believes in him will not perish. These people believe. Why are they spoken badly of? Well, because they believe in Jesus because of his signs, not because of Jesus himself. They, they see what Jesus is doing, and he's the next you know, great magician in town, and they think, wow, this is awesome. They don't actually see who he is. You see this happen a lot in John. So in chapter 6, we're going to see the feeding of the 5,000. He feeds the 5,000. They cross the, the Sea of Galilee and go to the other side. Those people, that crowd of 5,000, go around the, the sea and hunt him down and say, hey, where's our next meal? We're ready for some more food. But they don't want to follow Jesus. They just want the free food. He's, for, for, for these people, Jesus is not supreme above all. He's just the new hip superstar, and they will hang around him for a bit and then move on to the next great sensation. It's just like we see in our modern time. You know, first it was the Backstreet Boys, and they were the big popular group, and then the Jonas Brothers took the spotlight, and then Justin Bieber did it, and someday somebody will take over Justin Bieber's spot because, frankly, one day Bieber is going to be old and have a scratchy voice, and it's just going to be weird to him singing, If I Was Your Boyfriend, I'd Never Let You Go. You see, this may be some of you here. You aren't really interested in knowing and following Jesus. You're just interested in what he can do for you, what kind of blessings you can get from him. When he stops giving you what you want, you'll move right along to the next great thing. It says, Jesus knows what is in man, verse 25. He himself knew what was in man. He knows that they don't believe in him the right way. There hasn't been a transformation that has happened in their lives. Jesus knows them and Jesus knows you. You can't hide from him. You can't trick him into thinking something different of you than, than what you are. He knows every detail of who you are. In fact, he knows you better than you know yourself. And one day, you're going to stand before God and you aren't going to be able to trick him into letting you into heaven. He knows who you are. 
So it says in verse 25, he himself knew what was in man. And then immediately, verse chapter 3, now there was a man. So John looks out over all these men, and he shines a spotlight on one of them. Jesus knew what was in man. Now there was a man, Nicodemus. Nicodemus. I suspect you would like Nicodemus. He was a faithfully religious man. Had Nicodemus lived today, he would have been highly respected in the church. You probably would have respected him as much as you respect somebody like Rod Griffin. He would have known the Bible better than anyone you ever saw. He, he had the first five books of the Bible memorized, and that includes Leviticus, which most Christians have never even read. He would have been good at administration and counseling. He would have given of his finances to the temple regularly. He would have performed weddings, funerals, and baby dedications. He was a good man by all outward appearances. But we're going to see that Jesus sees right through him. Nicodemus, it says he, he comes to Jesus by night and he speaks to him. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. No one can do the signs you're doing unless God is with him. Why might it say Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night? Why, why include that detail? Well, I think two reasons. Number one, the obvious reason, he doesn't want to be seen by any of the, of the other Pharisees. He's coming in secret by night. He's probably got his hood up so nobody sees him. He comes to speak to Jesus. But secondly, it just shows the spiritual state of Nicodemus. He's walking in darkness. He comes to talk with Jesus. As he talks with him, he continually uses the word we. You notice that? Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Who's the we he's talking about? Because it's not the Pharisees. They don't think Jesus is a, is a teacher come from God. Um, he's probably just doing, honestly, what, what a lot of preachers do, which even I do sometimes, is that it, if I want to confront a sin in somebody's life, but, but I don't want to sound too judgmental, I'll say things like, or preachers will say things like, you know, we tend to put our hope in money a lot, don't we? Clumping myself in with those people. And instead of saying, you know, you really need to repent of your greed. It's not as confrontational. He's, as long as Nicodemus says, we know that you're a teacher, he doesn't have to commit personally to Jesus. He doesn't have to say, hey, I'm making this recognition about you. Just right now, he can stay in the background. He can stay far off in a group of people. He says, we know that you're a teacher come from God. What do you think of Nicodemus' statement? Seems pretty spot on, doesn't it? Until you actually think about it. Why is this statement really far off? Well, because Jesus isn't just another rabbi. He's not just another prophet. God is not just with Jesus. Jesus is God. He's not just a great teacher come from God. He's God himself come to teach. So Jesus just cuts straight to the chase with him. He practically ignores what Nicodemus said. He says, truly, truly, he says that a lot in, with Nicodemus and a lot in John. Basically, listen up, this is important. Truly, truly, I tell you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is confused. And obviously so, he's never heard of such a teaching. How? So, let me get this straight. I gotta... I got to go back in my mother's womb and be born to enter your kingdom? It's going to be real awkward. 
So what's he talking about? Jesus clarifies it. He says, look, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what's he saying there? Well, there's several options, several ways people have interpreted that. The, the Catholic Church and, and several Christian denominations would say that's referring to baptism. You have to be born of the water and of the Spirit. You have to be born again through the Spirit, and you have to be baptized. That's why the Catholic Church baptizes infants, because they think it's part of salvation. You, you can't enter the kingdom if you haven't been baptized. It could refer to physical birth. Um, you know, you, you have to be born of the Spirit spiritually, but you can't really do that if you were never born physically. You know, water, when, when the woman gives birth, her water breaks, but that's not typically how people describe physical birth in, in the days of Jesus, so that's probably not the one. Um, it's referring to a passage in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36... 25 through 27. This is speaking of the new covenant. I read to you Jeremiah's new covenant this morning. This is the same new covenant just from Ezekiel. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus is speaking of the same thing. Birth through the spirit and the water. It's the same birth. It's Ezekiel 36. He's going to sprinkle you with clean water and forgive you, and he's going to give you his spirit in him. It's the same birth. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus says, you have to be cleansed of your sin and given a new heart with new desires. Jesus then speaks of the wind in verse 8. He says, look, why do you not understand this? Look, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. That's how everyone born of the Spirit is. What's Jesus saying through that analogy? Well, I can't see the wind blow. I can't, like, see wind blowing through the air when I'm outside. But I can see the trees shaking as the wind blows, right? I can't look at each of you and see a mark on your head to know if you're born again or not. I wish that were the case with everyone in the world. and make evangelism a whole lot easier. But, but, but I can't do that but I can see the effects of someone being born again, and, and all of you can. You know, I can see if somebody produces the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can see if someone truly hates their sin or if they're just putting a, up a front and they really love their sin. You know, a good test of whether or not someone is born again, look at them when they're at their job. That's where we spend a good amount of our day. Think about it with yourself. Does your life at work reflect somebody who's been born again by God's Spirit? Do you live holy at work, or do you tell dirty jokes around the water cooler? Do you have joy around your coworkers, or are you always complaining? Do you work hard at your job, or do you do the minimum amount until 4 o'clock comes and you can run out the door? Do you work with integrity, or do you cut corners to make your job easier? You can't see a mark on somebody's head to know if they're born again. You can't see the wind, but you can see the trees rattle. We learn from this section in regards to evangelism that it's God who does the saving. We're supposed to share the gospel and let God do the saving. 
Sometimes we think we're supposed to save somebody, so we, you know, beat ourselves up when somebody doesn't respond positively when we share the gospel with them. But it's God who does the saving. It's not how eloquent you can articulate the gospel. It's not about you being able to answer every question that the skeptics raise, like did Adam and Eve have a belly button? Who cares? It's simply about you presenting the gospel and allowing the Holy Spirit to work. You must be faithful to do your part and trust him to do his part. So Jesus, Nicodemus then says, how can these things be? How can all this be? And Jesus just looks at him and says, are you the teacher of Israel? Are you the, are you the preacher the temple hired? Like, are, are you the guy that the temple hired to, to teach Israel? You don't even understand the basics? It, it, it's the basics. That is, if you don't understand this basic teaching, how can you teach anyone anything else? This is the elementary teaching. In nearly everything in life, there's some kind of basic principle you have to know in order, to, in, in order for things to work right, right? So I played baseball when I was a kid from like third to fifth grade. Um, I was pretty good at offense. I could get a hit and get on base and get home pr pretty good. I was terrible at defense. The reason being, I was scared to catch the ball. I was scared to catch the ball. So my coach puts me in the outfield because I'm not going to get much action out there. And so I, I was scared to death that I'm going to go to catch the ball like this, and the ball is going to land in my glove and roll down my arm and hit me in the face. I was scared to death that was going to happen to me. So most of the time, honestly, I would watch the ball coming and let it land on the ground right beside me and go get in and throw it in. And obviously my team hated me for that, but... Um, you have to know how to catch a baseball to play baseball. It's the basic thing. If you don't know how to catch, if you're scared to catch, you're not going to be a good baseball player. And I wasn't. If you're a doctor, you probably need to know the difference between a scalpel and a shovel, right? If you're cooking, you need to know like, what, what heat does with food. If you put too much on it, it burns it. If you don't put enough on it, you undercook it. Like You need to know those things. If you're going to run a marathon, you need to know, hey, go buy some running shoes. Don't run in flip-flops, right? You've got to know the basics. And Nicodemus doesn't know the basics. This is the basics. So Jesus summar summarizes this foundational message to Nicodemus he, he, he says, listen, he, he, he says, look, verse 13 through 15, he's going to reference a story from the Old Testament, from Numbers 21. So understand, Numbers 21, people of Israel are being the whiners that they are. Uh, we, we got bread literally falling out of the sky, but we're not satisfied. We'd like some butter to go with it, please. Um, and, and so they're, they're complaining, they're worshiping idols. And so God just sends a pack of snakes on them. So let's snakes eat them up. And Moses goes before God and says, hey, can you please give us some relief? And God says, sure. Make a snake out of, out of bronze, <clears throat> put it on a pole, lift that pole up, stick it in the ground, and as long as the people of Israel keep their eyes on that serpent, the other snakes won't bother them. They'll stay away. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You're, um, as we read through John, <clears throat> if you're reading our church-wide Bible reading plan, which I don't know if you remember that we're doing that because of COVID, but um, we're going to get to John in a couple weeks. <clears throat> we'll spend, I think, five weeks in John. Look for the word lifted up. Look for that phrase. It pops up in John five times. Um, and I'll give you a hint, twice here. So that's two of them. Um, 
he's going to be lifted up. When you hear of Christ being lifted up, what do you think of? What comes to mind? Well, you probably think of his exaltation. He's at the right hand of God right now, sitting there. The angels are worshiping him. He is, he is all authority. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He's lifted up. But that's not what John is using it for. When John calls, says Jesus is being lifted up, it's referring to his crucifixion. Jesus will be lifted up on a pole just like that serpent was. It refers to his death. It's a biblical principle. God lifts up the humble. In the cross, Jesus humbles himself as far as he possibly can, so in the cross he is lifted up. Some theologians have actually called the cross the, the throne of Christ. In his upside-down kingdom where the, where, the, where the people who mourn are blessed and where the hungry are blessed and where the persecuted are blessed, the, the king is lifted up. He is on his throne as he suffers to pay the penalty for his people. You've seen one of those movies where there's some kind of plot twist at the end that you weren't expecting, but when you see it, you realize that was there in front of me the whole time and I never saw it. Like, you get to the last five minutes of the movie and you're like, whoa, they were dead the whole time. Like, I never realized it. That's what's going on when Jesus dies on the cross. He's hanging there dying and you feel defeat. God's son is, is beaten and bloody and, and crying out in pain. But if you see the plot twist, he's taking death and hell and your sin to death with him. And you realize it's all a victory. It's all a victory. He's being lifted up. Jesus says that, verse 15, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. In John, um, John uses the word believe, I think, 153 times. When John talks about believing in Jesus, it's not a thing of, um, it's not a thing of just believing that a historical figure lived named Jesus. It's, it's beholding his glory. It's, it's fixing your hope on who he is. It's beholding him through faith. What comes to mind when you think of beholding something? Well, staring at it, taking in every detail of it. If you remember back, uh, I think it was 2018, could have been 2017, the solar eclipse that came. Um, I don't know what, how y'all could see it down here in Louisville. Uh, my hometown in western Kentucky was apparently like the perfect spot to see it. Um, just a little north in Louisville. We mostly saw it, but it wasn't complete. But everybody that day was out in the parking lot at work, like of every business, like everybody's outside looking up, not really looking up because that would blind them, but, but trying to look up. And they're like amazed by this, like, wow. Like I would sit and stare at this thing if I could, but, but I can't, I, I wanna behold it. So think of the connection Jesus is making with numbers here. It, Anyone who looks at that bronze serpent will not get bitten by the snake. Anyone who believes in the Son of Man, lifted up, will have eternal life. It's about more than merely acknowledging that he existed. It's about beholding his glory. It's about seeing the plot twist that's right before your eyes and trusting in it. You have to do more than simply affirm that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago in history. You have to trust that when he died on the cross, he was dying in your place. You were supposed to be on that cross, and he took your punishment. So let our lives be about beholding the lifted up Son of Man. 
Let us work our job to the glory of the lifted up Savior. Let us, let us lift up the Savior with, with our goal in education and in our endeavors. Let, let our marriages and our relationships, and if we're single, our singleness and our parenting be centered on the lifted up Savior. Let, our, let us lift up the Savior through our worship here in church and in our service of the community. Let us always remember that the lifted up Savior is our only hope. Let us read his word daily and behold his glory. <clears throat> so following this, we have the most famous passage in the Bible. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works been carried out in God. This passage is probably red letter in your Bible. Um, we don't know if th these words were actually spoken by Jesus or if it's a summary that John is making of everything Jesus taught here. Um, the red letters are not inspired. Um, the, so um, do, do you see verse 16, how such a simple verse is much more magnificent than just something that we put on a coffee mug? It's, it's referencing everything he's just taught in 1 through 15. It, it's, it's the story of Nicodemus, and through that you see what it means to believe in his only son. But in light of that, 17 through 21, we are all condemned already in our sin, and God sent Jesus into the world to rescue us from that sin. Some will reject it, many will reject it, because they walk in darkness and they love walking in darkness. That, that's what happened with Nicodemus in this passage. Others come to the light because they love the light. Which one are you? So what happens with Nicodemus? We'll finish up thinking about what happened with him. Nicodemus doesn't appear in anywhere else outside of John. He appears in John two more times. Flip to chapter 7. Verse 45. When I get to these passages as I'm working through John, I'm not going to preach these because I'm doing that now. Um, John 7, 45. This is probably a year later. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to him, Does our law judge a man without first giving his hearing, him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So... A year later, after Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he's, he kind of sticks up for Jesus, but he doesn't take too big of a stand, so, so maybe he's starting to come around. Um, but a year later, at the next Passover, 
John 19. This is right after Jesus dies. He's just died on the cross. We see Nicodemus pop up one more time. 19, verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, they always mention that when they mention him, by night came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it up in linen cloths with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Chapter three, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night in secret, hidden. Chapter 7, he sticks up for Jesus, but doesn't take too much of a stand a year later. Chapter 19, he's out in the open burying Jesus for everyone to see. So the question is, did Nicodemus ever become a follower of Jesus? Well, we don't know. Bible scholars disagree on whether or not he did. Some say no, because the emphasis in the passage is on believing in him and being born again, and it never actually explicitly says Nicodemus did that, so we don't know that he did. And we don't know anything about him outside of John. Church history doesn't mention him. But you know, I'm hopeful that he did, because there's a transformation that happens with him. At the beginning of the story, we see here him fearful to be seen with Jesus, now he's publicly burying Jesus. He came first to Jesus by night. Now he's out in broad daylight serving Jesus. There's something different about his life. He was one thing, now he's something else. He was lost, now he's found. And it doesn't explicitly say that he believed, but the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is everyone who's born with the Spirit. So what about you? Were you once one person, but then you met Jesus and your life is completely different now? Notice I didn't ask you if you came to church and shook a preacher's hand and decided to try to be a good person after that. Uh, I mean, were you once lost and now you're found? Were you once blind and now you see? Did you once come to Jesus by night and now you come to him in broad daylight for everyone to see? You know, I once trusted in how good of a kid I was. Now I trust in how good of a Savior Jesus is. And I recognize that, that no matter how good of a kid I was, I couldn't be my own Savior. D do not fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus was just a good man who can give you some stuff and help you when you need it. He, he is the lifted up Son of Man who came to bring the kingdom of God into the world. And if you want to be a part of that, you must be born again. Are you born again? Let's pray. Father, the wind blows where it wishes, and we hear its sound. We see it rattling the trees. But we don't know where it comes from or where it's going. And that's the case with everybody born of the Spirit. And Father, I pray as we go out this week that we would live lives that cause trees to rattle and make the sound of wind. That, Lord, we don't um, we don't have a mark on our head to tell people that we're born again, but, but the, 
the, the life that we live shows that. Lord, transform us more and more in that born-again life. More and more write the law on our hearts and forgive us of our sins. Lord, I pray for any here who don't know you, that they may trust in you and be born again. Transform them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.